This is episode number 922 with serial entrepreneur and best-selling author, James Altucher. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. quotes I want to share with you before we get started. Nelson Mandela said, do not judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. Thomas Edison, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Bill Gates, it's fine to celebrate success, but it is more important to heed the lessons of failure. And Michael Jordan, I failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. If you are afraid of failing, if you're afraid of success, this episode is for you. I've always been taught that failure is the way. You must fail in order to succeed, and that's why I've never been afraid of failure. I've been afraid of judgment. That's been my big thing I need to overcome is the fear of insecurity and doubt around other people judging me. But the fear of failure should never be something you're afraid of because that is the only way to grow and gain what you want. We've got a great interview today with James Altucher where he shares a story he's never shared before. And it had me on the edge of my seat wanting him to continue to share more and more really captivating story that is going to inspire you and is really powerful. It's going to Remind a lot of you about some things that were very challenging for you as well at one point. If you don't know who he is, super successful guy, uh, American hedge fund manager, entrepreneur, author, venture capitalist, and podcaster. He's founded or co-founded more than 20 companies, 17 of which have failed. That's right. He's batting, what is that, like 7% or something, right? He has published 20 books, and he is contributing to publications such as the Financial Times, the Huffington Post, and he's the host of the widely popular podcast, The James Altucher Show. He does some great episodes over there as well. Check them out. I've got an episode out there right now with him where I share a lot of new stuff also. And in this interview, we talk about how he was able to build companies from such a young age. He was really talented at a young age. What it's like to be a jack-of-all-trades and how that has supported his career how he was able to lose all of his money, completely broke, and build his businesses back more than once, literally going home from $15 million to less than $200 in his bank account. Yes, it's crazy stories. An incredibly heartbreaking story, again, that he's never shared before, and what it was like not only in New York City during 9-11, but on the streets as the first plane hit the World Trade Center, he talks about this story, how he watched it happen from the building next door. Crazy. And what he's most proud of and what he regrets he did as a father. That and so much more. This is going to be a big one. Make sure to share with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 922, and check out the show notes for all the info. And now, let's get into this episode with James Altucher. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Anyways, we are here. Welcome back to the School Grants Podcast. We've got my man, James Altucher, in the Lewis, house. thanks for having me on. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to take over the podcast for a second. We met early 2013. We were at that one talk, that Mastermind Talks. Remember, it was a competition. So whoever provided the most value to the audience. 125 grand or something, Yeah, right? some seems like huge amount for yeah. just winning a contest. And the audience would vote. Mm-hmm. And... You gave a really, it was you, me, Ryan Holiday, Tim Ferriss, AJ Jacobs, a couple other people in our universe, and uh, you gave this really inspiring talk about your football career, your injuries, mm-hmm. your the, your sister's couch, your late building your first, getting your first dollars from your first business, and kind of the the happiness they gave you and the validation they gave you and, and how you built up from there. It was a really good talk. and. I went up there and just said, entrepreneurship sucks and blah, blah, blah. So I lost clearly. Neither of us won, though. <laughs> Neither of us won. Neither of us won. You know, why, you know why Joey Coleman won? So Joey Coleman won. Smart. He, he put everybody's picture from the audience on the wall. So, of course, if you see your photo, it's like a natural cognitive bias. You it's vote for smart. the person who put your, photo, your kid's photo up there. So he was, he, and he used it as part of like, connect with your customer. Mm-hmm. Like he had that smooth right. And they told a story about a few people in the audience. Yeah. And he... It was smart because he spent like 10 hours of research and did the extra work and he deserved to win. But that was seven years ago, almost to the yeah. day. And we remember that. That was yes. like a very interesting conference, the way they structured that contest. And, and I still, I could feel I could pick up the phone any day and talk, call any of those speakers. Like it's yeah. somehow there was like a bonding thing that happened yes. at that one conference. Yes, that's right. And you've been on the show, I think it's your fourth time, I think yeah. now. And you've been on mine probably just the, the yeah. same amount. Yeah, so. exactly. And here's a question. You probably, I think you started my, your podcast shortly after mine. I started yeah. seven years ago, literally yeah. like a month ago. Yeah, so I started mine, I started filming the episodes in like December 2013, and then I launched in January 2014. 2013, gotcha, okay, yeah, so I was the, uh, yeah, January So I was a little after you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and my, my first guest was, I think either Tim Ferriss or, or Tucker Max, or one of, those, one of those people. Now here's a question I ask everyone before they jump on, so pre-interview, but I, I did just, shave before, yes, oh, thank you for asking. No, I but the, the question I, uh, the question I, asked before, but I wanted to ask you during, so people actually know the questions I asked beforehand, since we're podcasters mm-hmm. and you've come on before. The question I always ask is, is there anything off limits? And I already asked you that. And you told me what kind of was and what wasn't. And yeah, no, like, I'll, I'll describe my answer, which is that I never mind hurting myself. I just don't say things about others that could potentially hurt course, them. Of course. So I'm always fine 
saying how stupid and idiotic yes. I am on any one area. Yes, and then that's, and the second thing that I always ask, which I didn't ask you yet, but I'm gonna ask now, is since you've done so much content, so many interviews, what would make this the most powerful interview you've ever done? Wow, that's interesting actually. No one's ever asked me that. Uh, because if, if we're gonna take people to spend their time listening to this, asking them to spend them however long we're to do this for, ask them to share it, if we're take, asking people to do this, for me, I feel like it's a, it's a duty, it's a, a responsibility, an obligation to get the most out of this moment. Well, and so that's why I always ask that question because I'm like, we gotta really get in there. I think, I think if we both end up getting value out of this interview, then that's a real powerful interview. Because if you, like, if you're asking me questions where you want to learn the answers for yourself, and mm -hmm. and then I'm asking back, and we're both learning, then then that's, we're, we're if we're elevating each other, chances are it's going to be good for yes. the audience. Okay. And that's usually like a good yeah. a good goal for me. That's it. So if okay. I'm able to help you because of the questions you're asking, and you're able to help me because of our back and forth and stuff, like and the way you're asking the questions and so on, then I think it's a it's a great. A great podcast. I've, I've got a good first question then. Sure. So you've had, I think you're one of the most brilliant writers. Oh, of, I, I, of, I don't know about that, but thank you. Of our time in terms of captivating attention and constantly hooking with your storytelling. Oh, thank you. Though. That's high praise. Yes, and especially on Facebook. And we were talking before about how, how I hope you do solo episodes like you rant on Facebook and telling these stories because they're amazing. And, and, and uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. But... I've been, so we just, as we discussed before, I've been thinking about that somewhat, like, what if instead of every episode being an interview, and I always admire all the people I interview, yes. and they're always great, but sometimes I do want to just tell stories, and I think, you know, a lot of people who have listened to my podcast, they haven't necessarily read the 3,000 plus, art, nor should they read the 3,000 plus articles on my site or whatever, and... And I do see in podcast world, storytelling is kind of moving up. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen, like even like true crime stories are moving up, Fresh all sorts of storytelling. And so I just, I, I- I think you'd be great at it, man. I think it'd be fun, but I'm not sure yet. Plus you're a comedian and you have a comedy store that you bought yeah. in New York City. So you've been practicing. I feel like you would just be able to make it amazing. So that's my goal for you, is that after this, you start doing solo episodes. All right, I'm gonna do, do it. Do one. Yeah, do one. Do start experiment. next week yeah. and just do one of the stories that you posted on Facebook and just, Read it out loud. Yeah. And add them. So, anyways, here's my first question. You have gone through so many different life challenges. I feel like every time since, you write a story. Even since I've known you. <laughs> every, I mean, in seven years, but even just before that, you have so many crazy stories that you write about on Facebook. I'm curious, when was the last time you cried? Uh, because you go through a lot of these pain and adversity, but I don't think people ever know if you yeah. actually show emotion or cry. I think I think about two weeks ago, I was thinking of my daughters. So I have I have two daughters. My lovely wife Robin has three, two daughters and one son. So together we have four daughters, one son. Uh -huh. And I was thinking of um, I was thinking of my two daughters. They don't normally live with me, and it's been a long time since they've lived with me. And so sometimes I miss them, and I wonder when they're going through a hard time. Sometimes I wonder if it's because they haven't been. A, a more steady presence for them, and that made me sad, missing them in that sense. And 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 you know they're both going through their individual hard things because one's seventeen, one's twenty, and 
you know, mm. sometimes it's hard when there's distance. And like I see them as much as I, I can. They don't live that far away, but they have school, they have responsibilities, yeah. they have other things. And so I was missing them and I felt sad about that and that encouraged me to really? cry. Yeah. Do you cry often or is it like a... Mm, yeah, maybe like Once every few weeks. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So uh, everything could That's do great, it. That's great, man. Yeah, I, I, didn't do, know you were I don't know if it's great or not. Like, I think expressing emotion, whether it's privately or publicly, it doesn't matter, but expressing, allowing ourselves to feel is a powerful thing as opposed to numb. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I agree, because I'm generally an optimist. Like if you ask me, how's the world going to be a year from now? I'll usually think it's going to be a, it's gonna a, a year, die a better. <laughs> I, I'll usually think it's going to be better a year from now than a year ago. Um, but Even with the election coming? It, well, I'm actually most worried about <laughs> coronavirus, but that's another topic. But uh, but we could talk about any of these things. Right. But um, because I, okay, the election, I don't even, does, how much does the president of the United States or zero. any politics affect zero, you? Zero, zero. <laughs> like, it affects me if I allow the negativity to take over yeah, my body exactly. and mind. Otherwise, it doesn't affect me if I have to spend a little more on taxes or whatever. Like, unless something drastic changes, I don't know what would change. There's no. no really power they have to change. No, but I know. But Unless it's a war. Right. Then it would change my life. Okay, so like January 3rd, my kids came up to me, and instead of the usual bantering they do and annoying whatever they say to me, they were like, Dad, are we going to get drafted? Because that was when, oh, wow. you know, that guy, Iranian was, you know, Suleimani was just killed. Or is, it, is there going to be a draft? Are we going to, is there going to be World War III? And so it kind of inspired me to call up a military expert and do a podcast What's actually happening? Right. Because one thing I noticed with social media, and that kind of the kids get swept up in that, is that basically everyone's a spectator mm -hmm. arguing with each other about meaninglessness. Like they're so, it's so wasted stupid. energy. Yeah, so wasted. And and I try to explain to the kids, they're just you have to know the difference between a spectator and an expert. And mm -hmm. the experts are not arguing with tweets, right. except for the president. But <laughs> or you might not be an expert. But right. uh, uh, so 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 I, I wanted to calm my kids down, but in a sense calm everyone down yeah. and actually Here's find out what's going Here's on. What's going, yeah. And so 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 I do feel when there's. I do get sad when there's like painful things happening or when my kids are worried or when I see a horrible situation. But in general, I'm an optimist. Mm -hmm. Although for myself, I kind of, you know, I think about lots of things. I'm a very, yeah. very emotional person. Now, you have two kids, right? So two of mine, but then three, five, five altogether. Yes, yes. Uh, and your two bi uh, biological daughters yeah. are 17 and and, and 20. So right now, 20. right now we have literally, uh, their ages are 17, 18, 19, 20, oh 21. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, and four girls, one boy. Wow. So, so many, I feel like my period now is starting to synchronize with their periods. <laughs> like You're crying and eating ice cream the same day I, as I wake are. up in the middle of the night, I'm watching Friends and yes. crying when Ross and Rachel break up. Like oh, it's, man. It's painful. Okay, I'm curious about this now. As a father of two daughters, what's something that you're really proud of yourself that you did really well as a father over the last... 20 years, and what's something that you really regret? That if you could go back and relearn, do something differently that you would do differently with your daughters as a father? Yeah, the regret is easier to say, which, and by the way, a lot of people say, oh, I have no regrets, else I wouldn't be here where I am today. That's always BS when I hear that. <laughs> of course, everybody has regrets. So I wish I had just hugged them a little bit tighter. Mm. I remember getting off, you know, for a while I lived upstate, upstate in New York. I remember getting off the train. My oldest one was a little kid then, and she was just running, and she jumps right into my arms, and I just wish I had held her like a microsecond longer in those moments like that. In terms of what I've done well, it's hard to say because 
they're very good kids in general, and I, I love them. But what I've done really well recently is my oldest daughter dropped out of college, and I'm very proud of her. She chose herself. She chose herself, and I kept telling her, you know, everybody She skipped the line. She skipped the line completely, because that's just it. She's majoring in, like, acting and theater, or she was majoring in acting and theater, and I, and I would say to her, you know, you're in your school in the middle of wherever, and there's, you know, two teachers and a little acting program, but you, or you could be in New York City auditioning for things and getting a huge head start on everybody. And she's like, well, real life experience, real life experience, trying little mini things, yeah. networking. By the way, she could still take classes. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of acting studios in New yeah. York City, and and there's things to audition for. And then there's the lifestyle, and you make you network, you make connections. And if she wanted to learn things, you know, the other things, there's online courses where you'll learn just as many skills. And she's like, but don't you need a degree to get a job? And I said, I don't even know if anybody working for me has a degree. Like I have, nobody asks anymore. And now maybe they ask sometimes for the very first job, but right. skills, no one in this century, skills are more important than degrees. You need skills, you don't need some institution validating you, like a parking validation. Here's your degree, and you, you paid, <laughs> Every school, by the way, has the same tuition now. Yes, there are community colleges that are cheaper, but all the other schools, their tuition has gone up 10 times faster than inflation over the past mm -hmm. 40 years, every single year. And so it's just, it's putting an entire generation into poverty because they're all in debt. Yeah. It's 30 million kids in debt. So it's horrible. Yeah, and I care more about, I, I, I don't even know if I would ever look at a resume with the degree in mind. I would look at the results they've created and the, the energy they bring to the table. Absolutely, the and what ideas yeah. are they are they able to go back and forth and like, maybe you should try this, maybe you should try that. Like that's the yeah, only thing really. Exactly. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. 
When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now I'm curious, is there a moment in your life, again there's so many crazy moments, I feel like you, you've written all these, all these books about this and all these posts on Facebook and tons of podcasts, but is there a moment in your life that drastically changed the course of everything from the direction you were going. I feel like this probably happens every year for you. That something does always change, but is there one thing that you're like, okay, if this one thing didn't happen when I was 20 or 30 or whatever, that I would be nowhere close to where I'm at without this one thing? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things. Like losing I think the company, you know, whatever it be. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people could probably say a lot of things. Uh -huh. You know, I could say getting married, I could say having kids, um, but, uh, and this almost sounds like a cliche. I almost hate to say it because it's it's so it was much more important for so many. This one event was much more important for many people other than me. But I was in the World Trade Center on 9/11, and I there was a you were in it, yeah. So not up high. Down. I, there was a Dean and Deluca where I have bre had breakfast every morning. I lived three blocks away, so I had breakfast at the Dean and Deluca. Like eight a.m. because it wasn't like yeah, yeah. You know, well, I was a, I was a day trader, so I would go out around wow. seven thirty with my my partner, my investing partner, and we would go to Dean and Deluca, kind of figure out our strategy for the day, have breakfast, and then walk to my apartment where I had my day trading stuff set up, and we're walking back. And we were walking down Church Street, which is the, the main mm -hmm. street that goes into the World, the World Trade Center at that time. And my business partner, he turns to me and says, hey, is the president coming into town or something? Because that, that looks like Air Force One maybe, because it was like really unusually low. And, and then of course, a you split, saw the plane. We, 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 so a split second later, we, saw, we see the plane Shut coming up. in. It's, it's 600 feet directly above us, like, like right up. above us. And there was other people in the street all kind of like wondering, is that, what is that? And, and then, it, it, it goes so fast over your head and everybody just ducked. It was like an instinct. Everybody like went to the ground. Like you couldn't even not do that. And, and then we're all like, it only happened within a second. We're all watching, it goes right into the building. So regardless of 9-11, which was this political momentous event, we all watched with our own eyes a, an airplane crash and people die instantly. So just the act of watching an airplane crash is something you never expect. Like everybody watched them. You didn't even watch it on TV later because it's not like that moment was filmed. But just seeing a plane crash is, is something that I, has never happened to me before and I hope never happens to me again. And then everything, and then I lived right there. So, you know, then just all the events of that day, um, you know, and again, everybody who lived there, who was obviously people in the building and the families of the people in the building had it much worse. But like, for mm -hmm. instance, my, my business partner and I, we, went, we, we ran straight to the fire department on my street and we said, hey, can we help? And they really? were like, yeah, and, 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 and 
And they said, okay, they threw us two suits. Can you put these suits on? Shut and, up. And they gave you suits? Yeah. And I, and I said, I just want to make sure you know we're, we're not, I don't know how to put this suit on. Like, we're not firing. We just want to help with whatever you need help with. So is this like five minutes within a crash or yeah, like yeah. hours? Or, or no, no, it's right away. So because clearly it's crash. You're seeing stuff. There's chaos. People are running around and you're like. So, so the, my initial reaction was, this is weird what happens to the brain. Like my business partner, he was right away saying, we're being invaded. And I said, no, 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 this is me like being crazy. This is me being like a kind of a crazy optimist. I said, no, 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 it's, it's too early for anyone to be in the building. It's, it was 8.45 a.m. Right. So it was clearly people were in the building, but like my brain was saying, no, there's nobody. And I said, that was probably some remote control accident. That's exactly wow. what I said. And then, so we actually stood there a little bit while longer, and then you couldn't see the second plane because it came from the other side, but suddenly we see this other huge explosion, and everybody's like, we're being invaded, and we're just, we're right next to the building. And that's why we couldn't see the other plane come through, but we saw the massive explosions from the second plane hitting. And I said, no, 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 he, my, my partner said, it was a second plane. And I said, no, 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 it was just a kind of explosion from the first plane still happening. So I'm still being like really- the building, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, we're being invaded. And that's when we went to the fire department because clearly there was a fire. So he said, can we help? And everyone's running around and they threw us the two suits. And I said, and they, they actually said, are you firemen? And they threw us the two suits. And I said, no, 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 we're not, but we'll help in any other, we'll help in any way we can. We'll wear the suits if you want. And they said, no, 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 only firemen. And so, a hundred percent of those people died, and because uh, they went all, they were the first ones, the first the responders. Firemen? Yeah, they they were the first responders into the building because they were running they right. They ran then. into the building. Yeah, before it collapsed. Right, that was like right then. Oh man! And they ran all the way up, and we went back to so my apartment. You didn't follow them. You didn't no, no, because they they oh wouldn't gosh. let us because they said if you're not firemen, you're not going into the building. Wow. And I and we were like, well, where can we give blood or whatever? And they're like, I don't know, and we got to go. It's too much and chaos. They're yeah. just like, we got to. Yeah. And so, so, you know, and then, then I was on the roof of my building and you saw it like the, uh, like the buildings collapsed and the black cloud just went over the building and. Cause you're a few blocks from it. Yeah. We were just a few so blocks. So there's debris everywhere. Oh yeah. Debris, asbestos, everything. And, uh, I remember my daughter who was, uh, I guess three, she, she had been, doesn't normally do this. She even sensed something bad was happening. Like she peed on the floor, and mm -hmm. um, she was three. Yeah, she yeah. was three. But she had stopped doing that. But right, right, right. She did it, and uh, and I was still not convinced it was an attack. And then the Pentagon, we saw on the TV, the Pentagon got hit, and then the TV shut off. And then I'm like, okay, this Maybe is probably an attack. <laughs> and <laughs> so that's what an hour, two hours later. Is that a yeah? That was with all within hours. the first hour, and. Uh, and then they evacuated the whole area. I don't mean to go on about 9-11, no, but uh, uh, they evacuated the whole area and we kept, and there were bullhorns, like you must evacuate. But my wife at that time was pregnant and we had heard that there was asbestos in the black cloud. So I was saying, we're not going to evacuate. So there's a whole bunch of people in our apartment. I didn't, none of us wanted to go. And so we all stayed up all night Listen, you know, taking turns listening to Rudy Giuliani was saying what buildings were shaking because we didn't know if there were any other buildings coming down. There was potential for another World Trade Center building could have fallen on our house. So we were just keeping track, but I didn't want to take the risk of a pregnant woman with asbestos, just mm -hmm. six months pregnant. And uh, the next morning I get up and I go outside and it was the most beautiful day. Like it was sunny, not a cloud in the sky. There were ashes everywhere. Literally, cars were overturned, 
and there were just guys in you know hazmat suits walking around and tanks and that was the neighborhood That's so weird and then i went down to the corner and you look and there was no world trade center i'd grown up with that and there was nothing there and again this is nothing i'm not like telling history here just my story and then we decided okay it's clear enough we'll leave and there's three checkpoints along the way out because no one was supposed to be in that area. We were so close. And so at each point, they're like shining these huge flashlights. What are you guys doing here? And like, what's who's in your car? IDs. And, and then at the Canal Street, everyone's like peering in, like, why is this car driving out of the area? Who are, and the police are yelling, or the, the guys in tanks, the military guys were yelling. Guns, like, like yeah, 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 who are you? Why are you here? And then, you know, that was just, so that, and then, and not the other so thing you finally that evacuated and we, you went somewhere else. I went somewhere else, but then I came back a few days later because I was just an idiot and I figured, okay, I need to be here when the stock market opens. But my mind was not correct yet. Your mind gets scrambled. And so I decided, you know what? The market's going to go down a little bit and then I'm going to buy as much, I'm going to borrow and buy as much of the stock <laughs> I mean, as it's possible. smart thinking, I guess. It, 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 it was smart sort thinking. of smart, smart thinking, but... I was really, I did not know anything about investing at the time. Of course, this is 20 years ago. I had no clue what I was doing. And so I put all my money in the stock market at the open and it, it, the market went down huge. And then the market went down huge the next day. And I like then borrowed like triple the amount no and put it all in. And it went down huge again, huge again. And finally, I'm like about, I had just made, I had made millions selling a company a few years earlier. And now I was like just about at zero because I, I had borrowed and the market had fallen 10, 15%. I borrowed like 500% at this point. And, and then I remember it was, I think it was the Friday morning. It opened up on a Tuesday, the following Tuesday. And then it was the Friday morning um, or the following Monday. By Friday morning, I was so broke. It was like 10, 20. I said, I can't take it anymore. Just sell everything. I need like a few thousand dollars left because I'm going to die. And then four minutes later, the market went straight up no. for the next eight years, Shut seven years. Up. No, I would have made so much money if I had just held on to the end of that day, which is a classic kind of story. But I went broke. And I remember I immediately had to put my apartment up for sale. Couldn't really sell it because it was an FBI quarantined area for the next seven months and couldn't sell it. And I just went dead. That was the first time I went absolutely dead broke was starting from those events. And of course, again, I just want to qualify many people that had far worse families, people. I mean, we, we were right there. We saw the people jumping off the building. You saw people building. jumping off the yeah, building. Yeah, yeah, because they were you had to back off because they were landing. And, oh, my um, gosh, man. And uh, What does that do for you when you watch someone jump and kill, essentially commit yeah, suicide, yeah. forced to commit suicide? I think the... Because of the fires. Yeah, I mean, by then, my my mind was already scrambled. Like, this the plane. It was weird because I never saw an image of this. The plane went into the building, and what was weird was... It's like you saw this little edge of the plane on fire, but still sticking out. And the building itself looked jagged. Like it's still up there, but it looked like it was, it looked like a bad scissor had tried to cut through the building. And so it was like off somehow and blurry because of all that heat. And, and so that was the image that really, it took about six years before I stopped at least once every week or so, you know, dreaming about that. N wow. Not pleasant dreams, but like really wow. horrible dreams. Yeah. And, um, that was really affected me much, much more. And then, um, and then of just then, just all the calamity for for months and years that years, happened man. to me afterwards. It happened to everybody. It happened to that whole area. But it, it, you know, ultimately had to start from scratch. 
with everything because, for me, again, I always have to say, I don't really tell the story because everybody else had it much worse than me, mm -hmm. so I don't like to say. But you got to witness I, and experience it from the ground level, from your own experience. Yeah, and I, and again, it was more, it was, I, it was now in retrospect, I see how my brain was so just, I should not have been functioning for a good long while afterwards, and I tried to, and then that's really the, the first time I went broke, I lost uh, my home, I mean, I was sometimes so upset, like the police had to be called and I had to be like medicated. And I mean, really? it was really, yeah, it was really an upsetting. Like your, your wife at the time would call the police? Yeah. And you um, were so like crazy manic? Not quite manic, just like I was suicidal. Like really? I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do because. Because you had no money and you I, had these kids and you had to take yeah, care of everything. I had two kids. I had no money. I was living in, you know, I just had a lot of money. So I was living and I was an idiot. Whatever you make a lot of money, you should, this is what I tell people now, is you should let the money kind of marinate your soul a little bit, like get used to it. Instead, the first thing I did was I bought like the biggest apartment I could find and ramp up my expenses beyond any level imaginable. And so I had all these expenses and I had no, and by the way, there also there was this internet recession happening, like the bu internet bubble had burst. I was an internet guy, so nobody was returning my calls. I had no opportunities. I had no skills at that point, nothing going for me, no money. I couldn't sell my place, so I was losing it. And every day I was watching myself lose it. I didn't know what my kids were gonna do, so I thought I'd failed them. I had this life insurance policy for them, but I was kinda, I really, old, I say I was suicidal, but ultimately I really didn't wanna kill myself. I didn't wanna do it. And it's actually really hard to kill yourself without hurting yourself. I didn't wanna do that. And, uh, so I just didn't know what I was gonna do. Wow. And so you're just kind of like manic stressed, like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that was, there was definitely a before and after in that, because that changed my life in a bad way for a long time. But I needed it because that's when I learned a lot of things about myself and recovering and bouncing back from that. And I wouldn't, I don't want to say I don't regret what happened then, because I do, but I also know that there was, I learned a lot about myself coming back from that and I learned about bouncing back, and I learned not quite um, not quite anti-fragility yet, but at least resilience. Later mm -hmm. on, I think I learned how to turn negative events into something positive. But, yeah. but back then, I was just miserable and barely treading water until I started to get a glimpse of the sun and how I could maybe come back. But that mm -hmm. took a long time. Would you say that was the most fearful moment of your life, or was there another yeah. time that was? No, that was definitely the most fearful. Really? Yeah, yeah, because a, a plane crashed <laughs> right over my head, and and then also I thought uh, the world was over. Like you get that feel, you, yeah, once, once my optimism washed away, right. I instantly thought oh, that was it, the world's over, like it's ending. Because right. my brain was so messed up. And, and so that was, I was definitely afraid. And then a week later or a week and a half later, I was afraid because I was going broke. And then I was miserable because then if I had waited like three and a half minutes, <laughs> I would have made all the you money back. You the money going up a little bit, yeah. It was like such a cliche that it happened that way too. And, uh, but it happened. Would, would you change it if you could go back and change these Absolutely, experiences? 100%. Although, I would change it for the sake of myself then, but for the sake of myself now, I don't think it would be a good thing because I really did sort of come out of literally those ashes a much better person in so mm -hmm. many ways. And I learned so much not from that those events, but learned about myself from the events ha that happened afterwards of coming back, and like how to come back from, you know, disaster. And again, it was like it was disaster in the sense I was, I had I had no family at the time other than my family that I was taking care of. So I had and I had zero 
zero cash, zero possibilities, no one to take care, you know, no one, I couldn't call anybody and say, hey, wire over some money or lend mm -hmm. me some money. I had yeah, nothing. Yeah. And, and I had to, it, and I was ashamed because I had, people knew me in one context, oh, he's just sold his company, he made his money. And now I just had nothing. So I was, I, I was more ashamed than I'd ever been before. Mm. And so I had to figure out how do I, I didn't even think it was possible to bounce back. I thought I was just gonna fake it until I was just praying to die every day. Wow. So, so that was the, definitely the moment. I was most afraid throughout the next few years. I never stopped being afraid from that moment until many years later. Do you, do you feel afraid now? Sometimes. What, like about I, what? Well, I, I, I always tell my wife now, uh, I almost have a, a PTSD about, not about that, about looking at my bank account. Because I remember there was one time shortly after this, a few months after this, I hadn't looked at my bank account, I was too afraid. So one time it says, do you want to check your balance when you're in the ATM? And I said, sure. Now, it's gonna, it I mean, it's gonna sound crazy, but two years earlier it had said over 15 million. Oh my God. The exact same account. Now it said $143. Holy. And that was it, that's all I have. And That messes with your brain. Yeah, and, and look, I was very privileged and blessed to have mm -hmm. built up a company, but I thought I had won the lottery. I wasn't really a natural businessman. I, had, I didn't think I was, and I wasn't really interested in business. And so I think that, that's it. I have never, I have, and I can't get a job. I don't know what to do. Right. And nobody was hiring, it was a recession anyway. So I just, I just so, so I had this fear of always looking at my bank account after that. And so just a couple years ago or recently, I, I would go years without looking at the balance or looking at my bank activity, which is what normal people should do. Right, right. And one time I looked at my bank account and saw, oh, uh, I really need to start looking at my bank account more because I saw someone had been stealing from me on a monthly wow. basis and I didn't know. And so, and I'm good with, you know, I now realize where my skills are in terms of making money <laughs> and, and bouncing back and so on. But this one childlike behavior of not looking at my bank account, that was a wake-up lesson. How often do you look at your bank account now? Now I look at it every couple of days. Every couple of days? Yeah. What does it do for you when you look at it? Uh, I mean, now now I'm more neutral about it. Now it doesn't really... It doesn't affect I, you either way. I mean, it'll affect me a little bit, like if I'm <clears throat> nervous, but uh, uh, <laughs> it doesn't really affect me the same way. Do you feel like you used to attach a lot of your self-worth to how much money you had in the account? 100%. Yeah, that, that was my self-worth. My net worth was my self-worth. What do you attach your self-worth to now? Well, now, I mean, I have a whole, and this is when I, as I bounced back, you know, and it took years. The, the, and this didn't happen just once, losing all my money. It happened a good four times, but uh, where I would just make a lot of money and then lose everything and think, mm -hmm. how can I do this again? And then make it again, then lose it again, and on and on. And so I started to build a skill set of things that were important to me so that it doesn't happen again. So I get to have a more balanced life. Because I think when you attach, when your only metric of your self-worth is something that's so non-important for your self-worth, which is money, money is ultimately an ancillary effect of living a good, healthy life. And if you say money is more important than that, money is my life, then you're gonna lose, at least for me, I'm gonna lose my money. So I, I, I just train myself to say, okay, I'm gonna, my self-worth is more a function, or I don't even say that, I say, at the end of the day, I say, today, what did I do to work on my physical health? Which doesn't mean be an athlete like mm -hmm. Lewis Howes, it means 
you know, did I eat well, move well, sleep well, eight hours. Emotional health, did I, am I good with the relationships around me and my friends and, you know, do I, am I removing toxic people from my life? Mm-hmm. Emotional health is very important because if you're arguing with a spouse or a girlfriend or even kids or whatever or business partners, you're not going to be creative to, to do the things you're meant to do in life. And it's the same thing with physical health. If you're sick in bed, you can't be creative. Mm-hmm. And then creative health. Every day, it's the most important exercise I do every day, which is I exercise what I call the idea muscle. So I take a pad and I write 10 ideas down every single day, and I've been doing that forever. Mm. Like, I, I don't, I don't, not one day goes by I don't do that. Because new ideas or same ideas? New ideas. So, and about, they don't have to be good ideas. About what? Just. It could be business ideas, it could be ideas for guests for Lewis Howes. Like, I'm just exercising. Yeah, it could be book ideas, it could be. Uh, the other day, the other day, uh, I came up with ten game ideas, ideas for games I can create. And then the next day, I took one of those games and like, okay, I came up with mm. ideas for how to make the game. Ten ideas, you know, exec- what I call execution ideas, which help you with, you know, people say ideas are dime a dozen, execution is everything. They don't realize execution ideas are there's a range from bad to good, and you have to have good execution ideas. That's a muscle yeah. too. So I'll, sometimes I'll exercise. I'll write down. 10 execution ideas. So it's about nothing, and I'll never really use them, sometimes I will, but if you have 3,650 ideas a year, most of them are horrible, but you wanna just keep, you wanna just keep the wheels turning. It's, it is a muscle, and it atrophies super fast. Yeah. And then the fourth leg is, I don't like, it's sort of like a spiritual health, but that just means, uh, do I acknowledge what is what I have no control over and just focus on the things I have control over? Because most mm-hmm. things we have no control over. Yeah. So it seems like there's two groups of people from my perspective where people are obsessed about money, making money. They talk about it. They put their attention towards it. They love it. And it seems like there's a group of people in the world that are afraid of money. They uh, don't know how to make it. They're scared of it. It's bad and evil type of thing. Why do you think that is? There, there's kind of two groups. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not those two. No, groups, I think but you're I feel right. like it's kind of people are obsessed about it and they love it, and they, or they hate it and they kind of reject it because they think that money's bad or whatever. Yeah, I think I think for the first group, they mistakenly think money is the only way to get freedom, and so they they obsess on they want to be free, and so they obsess on how much money they can make. And the irony being, of course, they work 100 hours a week for 40 and years, and no then prisoner. life's over. Yeah. yeah, so what was your, where did you spend your freedom on? Nothing. So there's, that's an extreme, right? So that's the extreme of one type. And so they, they think the pursuit of money is everything. And I kind of was in that category, um, you know, sort of. Uh, and then there's the other type where I think they want to have an excuse in place just in case they don't make a lot of money. So they say, well, I didn't make a lot of money because you have to do something bad to make a lot of money, which is really not true. Like, as you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure many of your guests express this as well, is that relationships are really important when you're making money. And uh, you can't have relationships if you're a bad guy, if you're a bad woman, you know, if if you're a bad player in this game of life, no one's gonna wanna do deals with you. So now I make, uh, 99.999% of my money off of relationships I've built up over the past 16, 17, 18 years, sometimes even 30 years, sometimes people from my childhood. If you have good relationships and you're a good person and they trust you, uh, they, they, you know, you do deals together. People, it's really hard to find somebody to work with. And 
if you could find people you know and trust and you can get yeah. in the trenches with, then that's a, a valuable resource. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a good person and a good player in this game, it, it's important. I, I feel like you've been on probably both sides of the spectrum where you obsessed about money and you attached your net worth or your self-worth to your net worth. And it was when you didn't have it, you were afraid yeah. and you're freaking out. And there's also times where you're like, screw it, I don't need anything. I'm gonna live with like five possessions or yeah. whatever you did. And it doesn't matter if there's lots of money or no money because I'm fine with nothing and I'm gonna be happy either way. It's like you've kind of had both sides. Yeah, I mean, I, I was always originally like that. Like I worked at HBO, uh, the television company. I just wanted to write I wanted my dream was to write novels and make TV shows. And I was working on a TV show for HBO and I got this call. It was my sister and my brother-in-law. He was in the CD-ROM business. And it's like, oh, you gotta you gotta see this new thing, the web, the World Wide Web. It was just kind of starting up. And I was kind of an expert. One of the there was only maybe five people in New York City at the time who knew how to make a website. Mm. So I said to my brother-in-law. What year is this? 19? 1994. Wow. And so I, I said to him, I'll show you how to make a website. I don't want to help your business, but I'll show you how to make a website. You should do this. You should start pitching this to your clients. But he didn't speak English so well. So he said, Can Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. You, I, he, he, re, he agreed with me, this web thing is interesting because it was like what they were doing for CD-ROMs but connected to the whole world. And CD-ROMs, of course, were going away. And so he's like, can you help me write the proposals? He didn't really speak or write English. He was French. Uh, and they don't, they don't feel it's important to learn English. I don't know why. And uh, so I, I would start writing these proposals for him. And then he's like, I can't really go to the meetings because I, I can't sell. I don't speak English. And so... I would go to the meetings and then I realized something. Here I am, I was working on this weird TV show idea for HBO, I was writing a novel, I was living in a little one room place with a just one single foam futon on the floor in Astoria, Queens, which is near Manhattan. And and I was good, then I would leave HBO in the middle of the day, sneak into a suit mm. and go across the street to American Express. And then I would realize, oh, I'm good at selling something, anything, mm -hmm. I, and I believe in this. I said to them, you're gonna need, and every company's gonna need, this web thing to interact with all their customers eventually. And so they said, well, all right, let's do it. And so we started- American Express? Yeah, American Express. You built a website for them? I built AmericanExpress.com, I built- No way. I built sites you would not believe at Shut this point. Up. No, I built AmericanExpress.com, KindEdison.com, TimeWarner.com, site built after them. site. Yeah, yeah. How did you build them? I mean, you coded I, them or you yeah, had- yeah. I coded them. I was a uh, my original background is I'm a computer science wow. and you know technical guy and uh, and 
I did hundreds and hundreds of websites. Did you have a team also, or was it just like yeah, you yeah. coding and designing yourself? So I was a full-time employee at HBO, and in the middle of the day, wow. I'd break out and, and go to these meetings where I would sell the hell out of our services. And then you would build them yourself. And then, well, then I, I would build them myself, our first, like, let's say, dozen or so, and then we started hiring people. We were profitable from day one. And so I had about 20 or 30 employees by the time I quit my job at HBO. So and then I was, I was, I was the CEO of the company, and my brother-in-law, he was like the designer or whatever. And, uh, and we had employees, we had programmers, we, we were buying, we were renting new big office space, like 10,000 square feet of office wow. space. And at HBO, my title was junior analyst programmer. And then at by night, CEO, yeah, think. by night I'm talking to, like I remember when we were doing Miramax.com and uh, you know the movie studio that Harvey Weinstein ran. And it was like midnight, and the people on their side in the marketing department, they were like, "You've got to get this finished by by 1 a.m. because Harvey Weinstein's coming in, and he's he will eat us alive. Like he he's like the worst." And uh, so we would do that, and, and we did the you know in terms of movies, we did the Matrix, we did the Scream movies, the we websites did, for them. Yeah, the websites for them. That's pretty cool. The Matrix website and America's and AmericanExpress.com were both a quarter million dollars. Oh my god! So, but they just the Matrix by so itself. Much. Yeah, it was a lot. So you guys were making money back. We were then. making money. I was. I was. And, the, and my salary was forty thousand a year at HBO. But they were all custom sites because there was no like. Right. WordPress plugins, there was well, nothing to build this, on. This is why I was a stupid business person, because I didn't really understand the difference between, I didn't really understand the nuances in business. Mm -hmm. People think, oh, I'm good at business, or there's a skill at business. There's no such skill called business. There's a bunch of skills in a bag. There's negotiating, there's marketing, there's sales, ideas, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sales, uh, uh, leadership, uh, uh, execution, and then there's more nuanced skills like valuation, raising money, selling a company. Selling a company is very difficult. So I didn't understand valuation. So I'll, I'll tell you a quick example. AmericanExpress.com was a, an enormous website. It's like 60,000 pages. So I wrote software to basically automatically generate all the pages, and I put a little bulletin board to the side of every page so in every department of American Express, they could comment and I would get emails uh, uh, from all the comments from every department of American Express. I essentially built like a WordPress in say, 1995. It like WordPress. Yeah, and I was, thinking, I was thinking to myself, I remember I was telling one person who, was, um, who wanted to like intern and learn, and I said, don't tell American Express that I'm doing this because I don't want them to know how few hours I'm working on this. <laughs> right. And here I built software that was like much later, could have been maybe a multi-billion dollar thing. And I was like, no, no, I just want to be profitable. And I didn't realize that, you know, sometimes you want to build something. I didn't understand the difference between scalability and profitability. I thought, oh, of course it's good to be profitable. Not, I don't care about scalability. I just want to make money. Right. And so, did you end up uh, selling that company? Or yeah, we sold that company uh, for the fifteen million uh, that I had in my bank account. And went broke. And then I went. And then I went a couple years later, like dead broke. Now, what do you think after all these lessons from making money, being around billionaires, losing it, making it all this like twenty times you did over in your, in your lifetime? What is the pathway towards becoming financially free without making money, making become a prisoner of the money you're making? So how do you, we want freedom. Yeah. And typically money will help us give us resources to provide certain things, but how do we not let it control us? And, and how do we make a lot of it while not letting it control us? I think, 
I think it's a hard question to answer because all the time you're thinking, okay, what activities am I involved in that are making money and so on. But I realized, and this took me a really long time to realize because I was so afraid after that 9-11 moment, for the next 10 or in fact, nine years, all I was focused on was I better not go broke again. And so I was, my mind was so focused on money. And then I finally was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm wearing myself out. I'm, I'm unhealthy. Nothing's going right. I'm, I'm in bad relationships. I'm in, I'm not being creative. And uh, so finally I said, finally I moved out of the city. I gave up. I moved out of the city. I moved upstate New York. And I just focused on things I love doing, like yeah. writing and that was it, writing at the time. I yeah. just loved writing and, and relaxing and being more creative. And, uh, uh, and then I also had, had made enough in little pieces here and there that I would always turn over, I would always invest the money in private companies, not public companies, but private companies that I trusted and where I trusted the CEO. I knew the CEO had done it before. I trusted his vision. Uh, and I put money with them because then it's like as if you started a company But you outsource all the work to someone better than you, you don't have to do, to the do work, it and yeah. you don't have to do it So yes, the CEO will make a lot more than me, but that's fine. He's doing he's traveling Doing all, to, all over the world yeah. and traveling has 300 employees and managing them And I get to just sit by the river and write a book or whatever right. get some advice once a month Yeah, yeah. and so 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 I ended up writing and, and focusing on that and through my writing I was ex tell all these stories and, and I think vulnerability, when, you, when you're writing, a good writer is going to be vulnerable. And you do this in your mm -hmm. books. And a good writer is going to be vulnerable. And vulnerability actually is what buys freedom. Because if you say, mm -hmm. oh, I've been through this, 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 what can, how, how can people ever affect you? Like, you've, you've been vulnerable about many things in your life. And someone says, yeah, Louis, you, this. Like, yeah, okay, bring it on. Yeah, yeah. I've, already I've already said, said that. It's yeah, Eight Mile Yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's the yeah, last, yeah. the last song, yeah. the winning song in Eight Mile. Exactly. Um, and uh, so I just was writing and building this trust and freedom, and you know, building a whole new subculture of connections and networks. And my books were best-selling books. And look, ultimately, that's how we met. That's how mm -hmm. I met a lot of our mutual friends. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was very interesting. Is that more and more opportunities because people saw, oh yeah, this guy is smart about business because believe it or not, I actually developed some skills in business over this time. I started a whole bunch of businesses and some of them worked, some of them didn't, but I was always very honest about my lessons that I learned and I would write for all these business blogs and the Financial Times and so on. And I was also honest about myself so people would trust me and I would see more and more opportunities. And then I started networking people like, you should meet this person, you should meet this person. And that would get me you know, opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so gradually I built together this portfolio of private companies that I really believed in. And then some of them started to exit. Yeah. And that was really the, nice. the most of, and still ongoing, like this is what I do for, but I never have to think about it. So all day long, as you know, I'm a podcaster, I'm a writer, I'm yeah. working on TV shows, I'm working on all the things I dreamed of working on 20 years ago, and now I actually yeah. get to do it. You're doing it. What is the best investment you've made in the last five years? That's paid the, the biggest dividends. Sure, yeah, and then this is actually an ongoing, mo so your best investments, you almost never exit. Because if a company is doing well, your worst investments, you know right away. They go bankrupt immediately, yes. and they'll happen. But your best investments, you never really, it takes a really long time for them to exit because if a company is doubling every month or every year, where else are you gonna get that return? 
you're not gonna get it in the stock market. So most companies that are really good don't exit for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So this is an ongoing one, but a few years ago, this was during a period where I, I threw out all of my belongings yes. and I was just moving from Airbnb to Airbnb. I, had, I wasn't renting and I wasn't owning. And so one of my friends who I had helped, year, again, this is relationships, 10 years earlier I had invested in this guy's hedge fund. I helped them make a lot of money. And uh, he's like, why don't you just stay with me? And he had this huge, enormous 10,000 square foot apartment, whatever, in, in New York City. And so we would just hang out and talk every night and we were, this was during the, um, there was this big movement, hashtag Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, people were getting killed, both minorities and mentally ill people. There was a lot of, uh, not, not definitely not, and there was a lot of problems in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't on one side or the other. There's nobody to blame. The real blame is the fact that there was only guns and tasers. And... These weren't non-lethal weapons. Like right. people, we were, we were getting videos from friends who were police officers. Here's another video of someone accidentally killed with a taser. And it was usually a mentally ill person or it's really sad. And so we started thinking, well, what could be a solution? And we brainstormed and he had worked with another company when I had invested in his fund. The guy had made a sonic gun. It could shoot at you and blow your eardrums mm -hmm. out. Wow. So we called him. My friend actually called him. I'm not going to take credit for that, but my friend called him. He couldn't do it, but he said, well, how about this? How about a gun that shoots a steel Velcro? Uh, uh, I forgot the actual material, but it's a steel wrap that shoots at the speed of sound and wraps around the the wow. uh, the potential criminal. That's so crazy. this way, if someone is like mentally ill or anything and, and, doesn't res and is within a 21-foot radius is the law and they don't respond to a verbal command, now you have a choice. You don't have to you don't harm, it, harm them. Yeah, you don't have to harm them. them. You could just, it's like almost like mobile handcuffs. Yeah. And so it shoots at the speed of sound. It wraps really tight around you, but it doesn't hurt you. I mean, I've been wrapped plenty of times. It's not, you've, it doesn't hurt. You've had been shot at with Yeah, it? yeah. Really? Yeah, the, the. Does more, it hurt? No, no, zero. Uh, if you, if you. Is it you like a rope? Is it like a. Yeah, it's a steel cable, and it, but it's so fast. It's just instantly, you're, yeah. And if you try to struggle, it tightens up. So you can't struggle that it's much. It's like a Venus flytrap type yeah. of thing. It's like. And so, so lots of law enforcement firms are now, it's a relatively young company. This was just a few wow. years ago. We had the idea and then this inventor made it. And then I'm, I wasn't involved except after that just as an investor, but I was an investor in the, the initial startup capital. So before even like the initial round. And uh, now hundreds, I don't know how many police departments, but everybody's testing it out at the very least. Wow. We're doing this in LA, LAPD is testing it out and all over the world, people, police departments from every single country are testing That's it out. Cool. We went public, and uh, so I'm not trying to push or anything, so I won't say the symbol, but uh, we went public, it's been doing very well, and that's probably wow. been one of, my, one of my best investments. So that's done well. And, but I have, I have a lot of, I have like, I'm in like 20 different companies right now, that's, but that's number one at the moment. If there's a millennial in their 20s or early 30s who only has $1,000 to their name, what should they invest in to help them multiply their wealth in the future? Well, absolutely invest in themselves at that point. So you're not gonna have the network yet to invest in other things. Don't invest in the stock market because why do you have an ad? You always have to ask yourself, why? Nobody wakes up and says to themselves, I can't wait to make James Altucher rich today. Like there's not, 
mysterious opportunities that you, a young 23-year-old, are gonna suddenly find that nobody else out of the seven million people found. So opportunities like that don't exist. But where you do have an opportunity is you can take $1,000 and take, I don't know, a photography course and buy a camera. And then you get a wedding gig from one of your friends who doesn't have a lot of money. You say, oh, I'll just charge you $2,000. Now you just got 100% return on your money. Mm -hmm. And you could do it again and again and again. That's kind of what I did with websites initially. So I didn't have any money and I just had a skill. So skills, giving yourself more skills is the key. That's the key to to any success, yeah. while at the same time being healthy. You can't get skills if you're not healthy in these various ways. You have energy, and yeah. Yeah, but you've got, if you invest in yourself, that's how you double, double, double for the first 20 doubles. And that's mm -hmm. the first 20 doubles of $1,000 is a million dollars. So do the first $20 of right. 20 doubles just on your skills. Mm -hmm. and, and skills are fun to learn. You might they as well are. learn a lot of skills. They are. You just started learning comedy in the last three years. What's a skill you want to learn next? Uh, well, I'm still, You're you know, stand-up sta comedy. Sta yeah, stand-up comedy is a very hard skill. That's kind of been a fascinating thing to learn. And uh, I, I'm, I'm doubling down on my podcast. I'm writing a lot. And you know, look at look at yourself. You, you know, look at how many skills you've learned. You went from football to handball to. Uh, okay, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna learn the basics of business building with LinkedIn. Okay, now mm -hmm. podcasting so I can spread the message in this scalable way. And you build skills as you grow. That's, you know, it's not like, you know, that's really where you've made the money from. Yeah. You made the money, you, I just went to your movie premiere last night, an excellent movie, Chasing Greatness. That's, these skills exponentially grow. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have made that movie even six years ago. You oh, learned wow. a bunch of skills yeah. to make that movie. And so I just wanna continue building my, creativity in different directions. Very important for me is, and which I didn't know how to do earlier, is how to do little experiments. Yeah. So I, I always say, what's an experiment I can do that doesn't cost me much time, doesn't cost me any or our little money, that will, uh, and the upside of what I could learn and maybe benefit is mm -hmm. enormous. Yeah. So for instance, going up, the very first time going up to do stand-up comedy, didn't take me, it only takes five minutes to do that. Didn't cost me any money to do that. And the upside in terms of, is this an interest of mine? Is this, can this help other skills? Is, can this have benefits? And it's just fun. That was a great little yeah. experiment. Yeah. And then other, I do, I'm always doing like maybe a dozen or more experiments at any given time that are just fun for me. And, and I get to learn things, I get to try things. I get, and if one thing succeeds, then it's enormous. Yeah. This, this rap thing was a little experiment. Let's call this guy and see if we can, if he could come up with something and then we'll put money with him. Sure. So just little experimenting is like very key. I'm always, for me, skills is everything. And I think when you're in your 20s, you should learn as many skills as possible because yeah. it's like a tool belt that you can just always whip out at any moment when you need something, so. And I, it never stops. Like, it never stops. Like, I, you always read about the 10,000 hour rule. You need to put 10,000 hours to really learn thing. a skill. Yeah. But it's not true. If you just, if you're really good at constructing these micro experiments in the things that you love doing. The challenges. Yeah, yeah, challenge yourself. So uh, this was like four or five years ago when I was first learning, as an example, stand-up comedy, I went onto a subway car and did stand-up comedy there. That and that, sucks. That was, that sucks, sucks huge. Nobody wanted to hear me. Nobody, everybody was like, what is this guy doing? It's not like they paid a cover charge and they were all <laughs> coming to see a comedian. And then I would just start telling jokes. And that was a way to challenge myself. I knew in a way that would help me skip the line compared to people mm. who didn't do that. Mm -hmm. So, and I was always doing mini experiments to 
push myself in a weird way that would cost me nothing. That's great. And so that, that works. I've got two questions left for you. Um, this question is, is there anything that, I feel like you may not have an answer for this because you, you expose yourself so much, but is there anything that you're really afraid of people knowing about you, who you truly are, that would make them not like you or love you anymore? If they truly knew something about you that you were afraid of? You know, the other day, I was thinking this question. So I would, if I had, if you had asked me three days ago, <laughs> I could have answered this, but then I wrote it up because it was like, there you go. I always have a rule. I'm not going to publish something unless I'm afraid of what people will think of me. So I've been dealing. So when you're afraid, then you publish it. Yeah, I, I, I asked myself right before I write something, and I asked myself right before I hit publish, am I afraid? Am I, is there something in here that I'm afraid what, what people will think of me? before I hit public, you know, after I hit public. Why do you do that? Why do you? Because if, if I'm not afraid, then probably someone else has written this already, mm-hmm. and so it's not unique. If I'm afraid, and I've been so vulnerable, and I've been, you know, and there's reasons in my life that I would be afraid of this, that I could, then it's probably something that's unique and has, uh, I don't know, it's probably something that's gonna be interesting both to me and maybe the reader, and, and it's a little more freeing for me. To, you know, again, yeah. the vulnerability buys freedom. Yeah. And so in 2010, I was super stressed out again about money. I was, or 2009, I was again going broke and stressed and whatever, and kids and blah, losing a home. That's all the same thing. And to deal with my anxiety, I start, a doctor recommended this pill called Clonopin, which is kind of like a, a long lasting Xanax. And it didn't work, so I took a large dose. Didn't work. Took a large dose. Didn't work. Took a larger dose. So I was on this huge dose, and it worked. It was like a miracle drug. I have to say, I was not anxious at all after right. that. It was like, it was incredible. After three or four weeks, the reasons for my anxiety had died down, or, or maybe like at Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success, from before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals, knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers a month or so the reasons for my anxiety had died down and I went to the doc and I tried to get off I said okay I don't need this anymore so I got off one day passes no problem I'm like Superman I'm not I'm, I'm great the second day I couldn't sleep at all and it was like and then I was sitting in the middle of the night just sitting up and it's like the whole world was like rushing past me and then I found out this is like one of the most physically addictive drugs you could possibly take and so, and I was taking this enormous dose that I had gotten after a couple of months I'd gotten used to and dependent on. And I go to the doctor and he's like, yeah, yeah, nothing bad will happen, but you have to get off. If, if you get off too quickly, you could have epileptic seizures. You, there's all these, there's, there, there's all these things that could happen. And he lists, and then I looked it up and there's like 50 Everything. bad things that could happen. Heart attack and this, yeah. Early Alzheimer's, uh, you know, strokes, uh, uh, dementia, uh, blurriness, you know, seizures and so he said you got to get off a quarter milligram every three to six months and so I'm like it's like nine years later 
I'm still in the final stages. No uh, way. Get, yeah. And you're still weaning off of this yeah, drug? Yeah, still weaning off. Because there were times also where I got afraid bad things were happening in my life, you know, relationships or this yeah, or that. Yeah. Bad things were happening. I better maybe not, maybe I should slow down the weaning off. And it wasn't doing anything for me because my, my tolerance was through the roof. So sure. it actually wasn't. After those first few months in 2010, it wasn't it was curing my anxiety. Or something. Yeah, or... yeah, it was not even, it wasn't even placebo, it was just purely physical dependence. Uh, like if I stopped taking it, I would, I would yeah, go more anxiety. Insane. Yeah, because yeah. I had nothing left, I had no chemicals left in me to, to, <laughs> to manage. Yeah, yeah, I had no infrastructure. The pill had taken the infrastructure away to uh. deal with anxiety. So I had to rebuild, that's what getting, going into withdrawal, I had to rebuild that infrastructure and it's been taking I'm like in the final stages of this, and I wrote about it, and I wondered, you know, and I, A, I said I was scared actually of going completely off of it because it's been in my life for all of these years. Yeah. Even if it hasn't been working, who knows what it's been doing. Right. Like maybe it has been helping me, yeah. 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 And, and then I was, before I hit publish, I was, I was, I asked myself the usual question, am I afraid of what people will think of me? And of course I was because I, I never call my books self-help, but other people do. I always just write my own stories and my own experiences, but people who had kind of looked towards some of my advice, would they question advice if they knew I had this addiction? And of course, my business advice or any advice had nothing to do with the addiction, but people could think it, and I was addicted. Wow. And so, so that was a scary thing. Wow. And that was three days ago I wrote okay, that. perfect, I love it. Uh, before I ask the final question, You've got a podcast. Where can we find your podcast? The the James Altucher Show, and I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to start. I'm going to start telling stories. That's on it, that. man. And uh, I think your podcast is going to grow in a big way when you start telling these stories yourself. Yeah, personally. Uh, well, it's something I want to. We, we we could talk about. I'm curious. Like the podcast landscape has changed so much since so 2014. Much. It's crazy. And you really have to stay up with it. And formats have changed, and mm -hmm. ideas have been tried. And I, I think. I, I've really been in that interview format, you know, in the trenches there with you since the beginning. And we both interviewed the most amazing people in the world, but after a while, you wanna... It, what's next? Yeah, yeah you, you have to think what's next. And I think for me, it's the storytelling. I think you'd be great at it, man. You gotta I, do it. I hope so. You gotta do it. And always when you guys, when you get the clips of your stories and do those little cartoons within your interviews, those oh, always yeah. do amazing. Yeah. So just do the full thing, you know? Yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. And I, I've only just recently started doing video, so yeah. I'm gonna, in that context, I think it's interesting. That'll help you a lot. So get the podcast, James Altucher's show. Uh, I follow this guy on Facebook. You're like the funniest writer I know. <laughs> Crazy vulnerable stuff. Here's a question. I've asked you your definition of greatness. I've asked you these other things before, so I have a new question for you. Imagine this is the last five minutes of your life and hypothetical question and you get to leave a message behind to only your daughters and you can only share three pieces of advice with your daughters and this is all they would have of you to remember for the rest of their life as they go on and get married or be in relationships or have kids or not but they go on to live their life and you can only share three things with them that they would have to remember their dad by what would you share with them uh, I think, you know, I wouldn't tell them to do anything I wasn't already doing. So it's the same thing I said earlier. Stay physically healthy, emotionally healthy, keep, no toxic relationships only, you know, and keep improving your good relationships and be creative every every day. And then 
So you're going to have a, a, a mostly happy life. The goal is not happiness, but you're going to have a mostly good, expansive life um, if you do that. So, and again, it's the same advice I had to tell myself and, yeah. and train myself to live yeah. by. There you go. James Altshire. All yeah. right, sir. Appreciate thanks so much. It's been Appreciate so long since, uh, since we last podcast. It's been like two years. Has three it years. been? Yeah. 2017, I think, was our oh, last man. podcast. When I had yeah. my last book. Because yeah. I came to the studio, right? Uh, well, and then I came to you. I came to your apartment, yes. your old place, and then yeah, you came to my. We were we were yeah. always trading back and forth. Yes, so exactly. so it's good to do it again, my man. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and are reminded about the power of failure, about the power of learning through trying, through doing, through action, through making mistakes, and. That's where you gain your skills. That's where you gain your knowledge. Not by just thinking about something or reading about something. It's about applying something, taking action, and learning from the mistakes. Hopefully, you don't repeat the same mistake over and over. Hopefully, your failure, you learn from it quickly. That's the goal for all of us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with a friend. You can change a friend's life by texting them the link, lewishouse.com slash 922 or by just sharing the link on the Apple Podcast or Spotify Podcast that you're listening to or anywhere you're listening to podcasts, you have the power to change someone's life. All you need to do is share with them this interview or another interview that's impacted you in a powerful way from the School of Greatness. Here at the School of Greatness, we care deeply about impacting and changing lives. And sometimes we've even saved lives with the message we've shared. And I'm just so grateful that you continue to show up and listen every single week, and we are constantly looking for ways to grow and improve this for you. So thank you for your time. If you haven't left a review yet over on Apple, please go leave us a review. We've got over 6,000 five-star reviews. Please share your feedback on how we can improve or what you loved about this or how it's impacted you. We like to share this with our team, and I'm just so grateful for your time. I love this quote from the beginning. Nelson Mandela said, Do not judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. And Thomas Edison said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. You have the power to really do amazing things. But failure is just feedback. It's just lessons. It's just learning on what not to do anymore. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love you so very much. You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. 
Ashley High Performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.